amplifying your own narrative is key to pushing back against disinformation, but not just disinformation, but also to amplify any kinds of calls to action, whether that be voter outreach related, voter registration, voter education campaigns, whether that be donation drives. The use cases are endless. The context is organic social media campaigns that are powered by people. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Kedar Reddy. He's the co-founder and CEO at Organize, which is a company that provides tools and consulting for social media management to amplify the messages of progressive organizers. Kedar has an interesting background in gaming and experience himself in organizing. So if you're following the world of political technology, you should listen to what he's up to. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Kedar Reddy with Organize. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Kadar, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yeah. So my name is Kadar Reddy. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Organize. I grew up in India. I was born in India, grew up in India, Saudi Arabia for a couple of years, and then I've been here in California for most of my life. I think there's probably more to tell. What moved you to California? I assume you're parents or parent came for work typically what was the story yeah my parents were trying to get to better opportunities for themselves and and, and for for us kids so they moved us from um, india to the united states and saudi arabia was a kind of a stepping stone for them what do they do my dad is a software He's a, a manager at a company called Flex. I think they're involved in producing different electronic parts for various companies around the country. I know that you went at a certain point off to college or more than one college and then got a MFA. Tell me a little about your education. I went to uh, USC and got an MFA in interaction design. For me, when I was first getting into it, I thought I was going to be doing interactive art, which is what I was doing in undergrad, combining art with computer programming and computer-based technologies, but ended up being about game design, which is something that I kind of accidentally fell into. And I really 
loved game design and game development, especially in the context of social impact and in addition of uh, entertainment and fun. Did you design any games? It's, I believe you did. Yeah. Yeah, I designed games. I worked at Disney for a couple of years. So I worked on educational games for kids, three to five-year-olds, seven to 12-year-olds. One of the games that I really like from that time is called AppMates. Uh, it's a game where um, you're able to purchase a car, a toy car, and then use it as a controller on your iPad. So it's based on the Cars franchise. What's really cool is that it mimics the way that as kids you play games, you know, you take a toy car and uh, pretend like you're running it over your books or whatever is in your environment. Uh, and it's kind of like that, but, um, but on, on an iPad where you're getting a lot of feedback and you're completing missions and, uh, you know, it's really interactive. And you spent a fair number of years in the game design world at a number of places. Was that a satisfying part of your life? It was inspiring in the sense that I really, uh, really loved games. But the kind of work that I was doing was leaving me feeling like I wasn't creating the kind of impact that I wanted to. So it, while I kind of could see the potential for games... I didn't think the work that I was doing was meeting that potential. So I was, I was basically frustrated working at Disney and other startups making educational games. Do you think that any of that experience sort of helped you as an entrepreneur, being in companies, functioning companies, startups that are trying to make it? What did you learn there in that regard? One kind of very concrete thing I learned was, you know, how do you run a sprint? How do you run team meetings? And how do you not run the team meetings? Because um, I remember working at Disney and being really kind of stressed out about our morning stand-ups. We had stand-ups every morning and uh, it was a huge deal. <laughs> I'd be, you know, worrying about what I would be sharing in the, in the meeting in terms of what I'd completed. I think that kind of stress is not good, but at the same time, kind of having it with the whole team together and discussing what to build next, what uh, blockers we're having, what to, what direction we're heading in and checking in, I think is really important. But the stress is something that I don't think was uh, needed. So we don't have kind of everyday stand-ups now, for example, at Organize. Uh, we, have, we check in a couple of times a week. We have updates as people... <laughs> have updates to share, not because they have to. Every company that I've been part of has moved to that kind of stand-up over time. It seems to have taken over the tech industry as a way of organizing teams. Do you think that it, it was your personality that was a little allergic to having the floor and being under pressure? Do you think that works for some and not others? Or what's your general takeaway now about that way of going about things. I'm, I'm a kind of a shy person. So I, I think that those kind of things can be hard for me. Yeah, I think it's a combination of per, both personality. It's personality, but also kind of, uh, you know, building with team members and, and, uh, and kind of trusting their process in addition to the process that you're implementing as a team leader and kind of 
trying to understand what ways of working work best for your team members and then adopting those so that they can really have a chance to thrive. It's a combination of, I think, my personality, not wanting to have that kind of pressure every single day, but also the work style, right? I, I want to have the trust of the leadership team or the company that I'm at so that they know that I'm doing the work. I'll have uh, updates when I do, and they can trust me to bring up issues and work as fast as I can. I mean, I think that our early work experiences are so formative when we go on to start enterprises. I know for me, there were a lot of mostly negative lessons I think I took from places I worked, which I wanted to do it in a different way, you know. And one of the great things about forming your own is that you can make those rules. I mean, obviously in concert with the people that work with you, but it's a great pleasure to be able to shape something in your own image instead of uh, somebody else's. Yeah, exactly. Were you a political person growing up? Where does the political thread start with you? I think it really starts with me immigrating to this country, having an identity crisis. And basically, I was 11 years old when we uh, came here, trying to figure out kind of where I belong, how I belong, and uh, where I come from. And that led me into the world of art and art as a medium for expression and understanding myself and my context. And I would spend a lot of time in libraries, you know, reading about uh, fictional characters that had a similar kind of experience to mine. The desire to continuously engage with my background and, and, and critically engage with where I come from, I think has led me down this path of being politically active. In grad school, my thesis project was a game about reimagining the traditional mythologies of the Hindu religion. Um, and the idea there that I wanted to really explore was to take kind of traditional tellings of the story that have all these values and morals encoded in them uh, and to blow it up uh, and to reimagine it with the kinds of players and users that were uh, engaging with the game. Uh, and so I kept a lot of the characters and a lot of the elements from those mythologies, but had players who reimagine it and retell that story. Was that in service of social or political change in your view? I think so, yeah. It's, it's in service of social change. Uh, that are kind of reimagining the role of women, the, the role of people in terms of uh, caste, how they are situated in um, the societal hierarchy known as caste uh, in, in, in the South Asian context. And I think it's important for, because these mythologies form such an important for a part of South Asian culture, even today, I think it's important for us to re-engage them and to reimagine them to uh, articulate a better world. Both India and the United States have had a, their version of electing wannabe strong men in the last while that's intersected your 
development politically and pretty consequentially, I think, for both countries. What's been your reaction to the two leaders that I'm referring to? I think both Modi and Trump are really dangerous for our countries, but they're both fascist uh, and unapologetically so. And, and it's in, a, in a, such a kind of outwardly scary way that is hard to fathom. With both leaders, it's they have they have oppressed in an unprecedented way. Almost a lot of the ways that they have kind of gone after traditionally kind of marginalized folks in India, that's Muslims and caste oppressed folks, even minority religious religions in India, like Christians. But I think the common factor between the two then the, the kind of resources that have led to their rise in power are interesting for me. And these are these kind of coordinated disinformation campaigns that both have utilized to rise to power. So yeah, so that that is the change I've seen is entire countries kind of shifting and kind of believing in disinformation on kind of a country scale, even a global scale, which is uh, scary and which then legitimizes uh, folks like Modi and Trump and, and the narratives that they have leaned on in order to gain power. One of the interesting dynamics is how much they look to each other, these sort of figures around the world. And there aren't that many countries. This, these are the two greatest democracies probably in the world. They're so threatened right now, kind of from within, but also by this authoritarian move that's happening in a lot of places in Brazil or Poland or Hungary or Turkey, and certainly is more advanced than elsewhere. I just can imagine how someone who went from one country to another and is uh, paying attention isn't struck by that. That's the big history thing that's happening in our life, politically at least. Yeah. I, I mean, Trump and uh, Modi, I know, did a rally together in Houston. Uh, so they had a big rally, of, uh, to, took over a big stadium in Houston and did a um a show of solidarity and friendship. And it was sickening to watch for me, <laughs> uh, especially with so many South Asians in the crowds. It's hard politics for, for some of the people who are here who want to, you know, be pro India or not anti-American or some people are really like both leaders, of course, and other people just like the countries, but it's pretty, pretty charged for, for critics. Yeah. What happened to, to you career-wise post-Trump election? Like what were you doing and what were the steps that you took after he was our president? I was just let go, I think, from a game design startup because they're running out of money. And I didn't have the courage to quit that job even though I wanted to for a long time. <laughs> So sometimes the layoff is not the worst thing in the world in that circumstance. Yeah. And so, and so I was like, nice. And so I started uh, volunteering with uh, grassroots uh, organizations here in the, uh, in the Bay area in California. For example, uh, for example, Asata, um, which is a 
I believe, like Alliance for South Asians acting together. And there was another formation called South Asian Histories for All. These are kind of groups that came together uh, specifically at the time to defend California's textbooks from being overwritten by right-wing Hindus in the country. It was overwritten with the intention of erasing kind of painful histories of the con- subcontinent in California's history books, such as kind of history of discriminating against women, minorities, and, um, um, you know, the caste system, you know, the same, the same kind of points that kind of <laughs> come up again and again. When, uh, and the same thing that DeSantis is trying to do to our history or people like that. And, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. Just make it go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Trump Trump and uh, the the right in this country have taken a leap from from Modi's playbook as well of rewriting history books. Which is why you know, narratives are so important in the in the stories that we tell each other. And if you know, if this continues in a few generations, we're gonna be so kind of deprived in terms of understanding our own histories and our, our own struggles uh, where we come from. Well, we got quite a battle raging about that. And there's two sides, at least. So I, I don't know whether to be fully pessimistic, but it's certainly a time of reaction. What did you pick up? What did you learn from that kind of volunteering that you were doing? I really understood that kind of working together as a community and spreading a message on social media had great impact. And so, for example, we were putting out op-eds and information about the work we were doing, but it wasn't really getting picked up. And that was because we weren't coordinated. And so as soon as we became a little bit more coordinated on social media, we would see kind of many times the engagement for our posts. And this is kind of the starting inspiration for me for our organizers as well is that how do we focus community power on social media for much greater impact uh, greater than the individual contributions that go into a specific action on social when you were observing that did you also observe the other side and their ability to get traction and to use social media on the other side of things? And what did you pick up from what they were doing? I think opposition continuously trolled us. Every time there was an op-ed, there'd be 20 hateful comments under it. If we were doing a social media storm, you know, there's for every post, there'd be trolls that would be posting really antagonistic, hateful comments and replies. And oftentimes it was a mark of success for us that when we were able to reach the opposition and get them riled up that, okay, like these folks paid attention. So it's reached a wide enough audience. To me, it's, it became clear that people are much more coordinated on the right to the point that folks are actually paid to do this kind of work and around the clock. We know that Modi for sure has teams of trolls. <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, and pays them to amplify their narratives and to harass the opposition online. Teams of trolls just seems like something 
that harkens back to the gaming days. I mean, yeah. what the heck is going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fighting teams of trolls online on computers. There have been a lot of different things in the political tech world named organizer or organized. Yours is, seems to be organized without the, the E at the end. Why that name and what are you up to? What's the sort of, you said a little bit about it, but what's the sort of founding story and where are you going with organize? Yeah, so the, it was during this period of uh, organizing here in the Bay Area with my co-founder, Theba, pushing back against coordinated disinformation attacks that were co-opting our hashtags like NoDapple, BLM, and seeding disinformation and hoping that would turn into misinformation. And doing this work, we realized there are better ways of kind of coordinating online as a community, as a group of activists. And we wanted to streamline some of our processes of responding to these disinformation campaigns that we were seeing online. So that's why we built Organize as a way to really focus people power on social media and make it more effective and take out some of the, the kind of manual processes around reminding folks to schedule posts, reminding folks to come back and engage with the content that's going live. Not everyone can be on at the same time to be pushing a certain narrative. We developed organized so folks can, you know, create the post when they can. And then all of those go live on social media and create a much bigger impact up to 25 times the kind of impact that a manually coordinated campaign that, you know, is just going off whenever folks are available to post on their, on their um, channels. You mentioned your co-founder, you said Theba. Uh, tell me about this person, how you met, what their role is and how you decided to do something together. Yeah. So we met while organizing in the textbook campaign in California. In 2016, we've started kind of coordinating Twitter, Twitter storms and Facebook storms in that particular campaign and continue to do so on a rapid response basis for every kind of news cycle and every, every time there was some um, kind of atrocity in South Asia uh, and then there was, you know, the disinformation that was being put out there to justify it. Um, and so we would rally our troops and do another push on social media to correct the, the narrative. And this work is what led us to thinking like, okay, we need a better system for working with our activists, friends, and community. We need to be able to coordinate with them easier. We can't just be creating Google Docs and drive folders full of graphics. It works when people are really invested, but to engage a larger community, you need to have mechanisms that that make it super easy for people to be involved and take action. Did you create an entity for this at some point? Uh, it's a corporation. And uh, did you raise money? No, we haven't. We have uh, been bootstrapping it and raising kind of friends and family money so far. How many people working with you? There are about six of us. All of us are part-time. I'm probably the most full-time person working on this. How far have you gotten? What's the status of the product and obtaining clients and all of those elements of a business? 
We've onboarded over 40 organizations so far. We have uh, helped them coordinate over 100 campaigns easily. This year, we have a contract that's allowed us to work with various states across the country, 11 different states. And that's really exciting for us because it really allows us to expand our impact to all these different states where we previously had no connections. Are you saying you have clients in 11 states? Yeah, so exactly. So we have a, a contract with State Voices that allows us to work with 11 different state tables and their uh, member organizations. So sounds like some real progress. What kind of response are you getting to the tools that people are using? In campaigns that have used Organize well, we've seen uh, up to 25 times the reach compared to campaigns that don't use Organize and coordinate manually on social media, which is amazing. But on the flip side, our challenge currently is to actually convince organizations to use Organize in a, in a way that is how we've envisioned it to be used. So there's some challenges around onboarding and getting adoption of the tool. There are actually numerous tool sets in the social media space, commercial ones, other political ones. What is different about what you're providing to what other options people could have to do this kind of work? Yeah, there are many solutions for posting and advocating on social media. The thing that differentiates us is that we allow for entire communities and movements to schedule ahead of time for a particular action. The benefit of this is that it really takes into account how algorithms work on social media. They really prefer recent content and highly engaged content. And so if we are able to collect hundreds of posts and release them over a short period of time, it'll have a much bigger impact than content that's going going out haphazardly throughout the week or throughout the month, uh, whenever users have the um, capacity to post. Yeah, so that's the main way we differentiate is, is that our, our AI is able to release the posts in a strategic way using the APIs of social media platforms. So... You're saying you don't schedule the posts. There's some computer intelligence that helps decide when, on what basis. How does that work? Yeah. So the individuals don't schedule it. Rather, the organizer sets this time and date for when the campaign goes live. And then our computer algorithm then shares out these posts at, on that particular day, on that particular time. But Staggered. Staggered. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds kind of fun. Do you envision this being used mainly to counteract disinformation, as you suggested earlier, or also to sort of proactively start your own narrative? Yeah, both. Amplifying your own narrative is key to pushing back against disinformation, but not just disinformation, but also to amplify any kinds of calls to action, whether that be voter outreach-related, voter registration, voter education campaigns, whether that be donation drives, uh, where you're sharing out your donation link. If it's sign this petition, you can have this organic social media campaign to 
increase uh, signatures on your petition. The use cases are endless. The the context is organic social media campaigns that are powered by people, and that's the power of grassroots. And so that's why we've focused on um, organic so much over anything else. One of the big challenges right now with any kind of political technology is that there are just so many choices, even if they're not competitive, having a, a organization or a campaign or candidate or whatever, even know that you exist or choose to use whatever you can help with, as opposed to 27 or a hundred other things that they can do to campaign. How do you think about the challenge of adoption? You said some of it is you know, persuading people to do this, but you're also kind of up against kind of like making a game, right? If you make a game, no one's going to use that game unless they hear about it. It's well recommended. It's just so hard to break through now in almost any category of anything that you're trying to do for attention. How are you dealing with that? A couple of things. So one is providing as much evidence that this thing works. So we've been developing case studies of organizations successfully using Organize and providing that as evidence of how this tool has made a difference for in different campaigns. And that's really useful. And the more kind of rigorous and scientific those case studies can be, the better it is for us. But at the same time, integrating with existing tools within the political tech stack is is also really valuable uh, for us to have developed an integration with van for example makes it easier for organizations to then want to use organize because they know they can use this organic social media tool to do campaigns and then not just have outsized impact on twitter or facebook but also then to build their membership base using that integration without them having to do any kind of manual work of importing new members. So you do have that integration? Yes, we do. Do you have that with other tools as well? No, currently it's just with the MGP van. We need to be strategic in figuring out which are the tools that we need to be building these bridges with. So does that mean that if you do some kind of campaign, do you know in the voter file who's part of it? Like, is it coding that or is it only new members? Would you know in Van all of the people who are volunteers who are pushing your message? To what degree is the information that's in your app also being used in the, in the voter file software? For folks who join a campaign and opt in to share their information with the um, campaign organizer. And that, by the way, that rate is at around 40%, 40, 42%. Their email address and name gets synced with the ban list that the organization, that the organization is set up. And in addition to that, there is also a custom field that lets them know that these folks have come from, uh, organized, have participated in organized campaigns before. And they're able to filter, um, them that way and, uh, reach back to, out to them if they need to. Some of the people building companies in the space have gone to new media ventures or higher ground labs or other funders 
individual donors or, or consortia of donors that are interested in progressive goals for money and for you know accelerating the path of the company. Have you applied to any of those or are you interested? Where, where does that part stand with you? Yeah, we are interested in uh, all of the above and we're putting together our pitch decks and going out there and raising our first uh, seed round. Um, and yeah, absolutely would love to be in front of uh, New Media Ventures and Higher Ground Labs and any other investor who's listening today. What would you like the company to turn into? If you could push it where you want it to go, where would it go? We would definitely want Organize to be the hub for coordination on online, uh, especially social media. One of the things that we've addressed by building Organize is that we have made it more streamlined for people to take action. So it's no longer Google Docs and Drives that folks have to uh, contend with. And then we've taken it a step further and then made it so these campaigns are more focused and have outsized impact with this scheduling feature that I was talking about. But beyond that, I think what we need to go move into is also enable for more community building tools and more community building features on our platform. Because at the end of the day, organizing is all about building trust and building relationships with one another. You can't sustain movements just by repeatedly making asks to sign this petition. So yeah, so we really want to build more features that allow for folks to work together more, coordinate better. So not just about kind of taking action and scheduling posts, but also strategizing and being in a community online on Organize. There are lots of other political organizing software startups and more mature companies. Have you had any interaction with any of them? Like you could merge or be bought and become enrich their feature set. Do you want to stay independent and sort of become an additional thing that could be used by lots of different sort of tech stacks or are you open to acquisition or teaming in different ways? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the right partner, right company, I think it, may, it would make a lot of sense for us to get acquired. We're building this wealth of data in, in the, you know, the many campaigns that we've done so far and kind of understand what works best in terms of releasing uh, scheduled posts and when to release it. This information and these learnings from the, the data we've collected and the community that we build and organize in terms of uh, the clients and also the su supporters and activists uh, is going to be really valuable for potential acquisition in the future. What do you think is an ideal client for your for your company? Who would you really most like to have on the system and why? What's sort of your pitch to them? I think large grassroots organizations that have done a, done a great job of building with their membership base and who's progressive, that is our profile of a great client. For example, we've just started working with the Women's March. I'm really excited about that particular client, utilizing it at that national scale 
where half the, at least half the population, if not much more, um, is uh, is going to be uh, potentially involved in the campaigns that uh, that they organize. What else should we know about organize at this stage? Misinformation is spread through our personal networks, like our friends and family, are the ones that are unknowingly sharing information that's not really verified, not accurate. But we trust our friends and family more so than we trust a stranger online. And we're more willing to, we're not as questioning when we are taking information that our family or friends are sharing. And in that way, I think we all fall victim to misinformation, being complicit in sharing that misinformation. But I think on the flip side, because we're more trusting of our friends and family, we need to be using these same networks to be spreading accurate information, information that has been verified uh, by trusted partner organizations. And so I think organic social media campaigns are really the way to go in terms of centering progressive narratives and narratives of the most marginalized folks. I'm pretty sure that you've learned quite a bit about what works and what doesn't work in an organic social media campaign at this point. Could you summarize what the basics are for people who are trying to figure that out? The basics are that, you know, you need to be leading up to taking action or asking people to take action. You really need to be building with your base. Uh, That means kind of uh, have a community space online, whether that's Slack or something else, where you're continuously checking in with folks, answering questions, presenting them with opportunities to lead. And then when it t- comes time to take uh, taking action, specifically an organic social media campaign, I think using Organize would be a great way for your entire community to participate, not just kind of your internal communications team. And I think it's important to get quantity in terms of the number of posts and tweets that you can schedule ahead of time for a particular action. And then when it comes time for those posts to go live, it's also equally important to go back online, at least you as the organizer and maybe like a leadership team within your base, to go online and engage with the content and this way, everyone who's taken action, scheduled a post is felt heard, especially by an organization they look up to. And it just serves as another notification for them if they are available to come back on social media and engage with the content that's going live. And so this, these two things together, I think, really what drive successful uh, organic social media campaigns. Is there a way in which you've thought about how to connect this to offline efforts. It feels like not everybody lives online, not everybody's on social media, and maybe people are reachable through regular conversation in a way that they might not be through the Twitter post because, first of all, you only read like a tiny number of posts from any particular organization. It's it's kind of inefficient have you thought about how to connect outside of that social media world that you're targeting or does that not make sense? I think it's important to engage with people on the ground, people that are not online who are 
prefer not to be online, who are not able to access digital medium, are not able to connect to the internet as well. But a huge majority are online. And so that's really our focus. And I see the value in both. We need to be doing both as far as figuring out a way to connect with folks offline, with organizing. We don't have plans right now for that. It sounds like maybe both you, your co-founder, are not yet full-time quite. If I were somebody thinking about investing in you or even maybe hiring you, that might be some color flag. I don't know. If you're funded, are you like, are you all in on this? What's holding you back from? Yeah, I'm full-time on, on Organize and my co-founders are part-time. We're waiting to raise around the funding that is able to get them on board full-time. So it, we're, we're all in. We've been working on it since the pandemic started. We're fully committed. And this is what uh, we're really driven by a personal need. This is a tool that was developed for organizers by organizers. So uh, we really, yeah. Do you think as a business, do you think there's a lot of potential there? Is the market big enough to accommodate your larger aspirations that you articulated earlier? Yeah, I think the market is large enough, especially if you take into consideration enterprise clients, mission-aligned enterprise clients. I think we can definitely work with the corporate responsibility sides at these uh, corporations. Then the market is you know, as big as $9 billion just in the United States. The way I see it is our actual potential addressable market is half that, given that we don't want to work with the right or, you know, promote their narratives on social media. And yeah, and I think the actual size of our market is as big as a billion dollars. So this is, this is huge, especially for political tech, given that we're able to kind of have multiple use cases across nonprofits, across political campaigns, utilizing the power of employees at, at organizations to advocate for different issues that, that their CSR or departments are uh, working on, I think is, is a tremendous opportunity. I can't help but have some unease about if this is the way that we're going with a world of sort of online combat between factions with different tools and farms of trolls and just trying to fight for truth against fear and lies on weird, unregulated or barely regulated platforms. Is that our future? Do you see any way out of this? Is this what we have to do? Do you have any kind of broader thoughts about where you are in, in, in this political development of our time? Yeah, I think we need alternate solutions. I, I think one of the main reasons we started Organize is with the intention of spinning off into our own social network that is embedded in the values of community organizing. You mean like Trump's, but on the, <laughs> on the left? And truthful, yeah. yeah. Would, would you like to build 
this into a social network then of its own? Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. I think that, yes, exactly. So I think once we have a large enough base of supporters and activists that are frequenting the platform and u- utilizing it to post and advocating on, on existing platforms, I think we need to, over time, build features that allow for folks to come back to organize for the latest. There are some other folks who are gunning for that a little bit. Are you aware of some efforts? Yes, I am. Like a what? few of them, yes. I think it's called a Blue uh, Blue State or something like this. Uh, another one is Unity or Unify, something along yeah, those lines. Cheyenne. Yeah. Yeah. He's been yeah. on the podcast. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, if you haven't talked to him, that he'd be a guy probably worth having an ongoing dialogue with, I think. Yeah. Um, absolutely. What he's up to. He's a nice guy. Um, well, it's it's really interesting talking to you about this. I, I wish you well. Um, is there a question that I didn't ask that I should have? No, I think I think we covered everything. Thank you. Well, thank you. Okay. Anything else you want to say? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, thanks much. That was Kedar Reddy. He's at organizewithoutthee.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.